Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. We are very, very honored to have with us Rav David Stav. Rav Stav is the Rab of Shoham and the chairman of Irgun Rabbanei Tzohar, the Tzohar Rabbinic Organization. For full disclosure, I work with Rav Stav. I work under Rav Stav. I have the privilege of working for Tzohar, an incredible organization. But we asked Rav Stav to join us, not in his capacity as the chairman of Tzohar, but rather in his capacity as the Ravi'ir in Shoham. After our discussion last week uh, with Dr. Friedman regarding the Supreme Court decision uh, about Rav Shmuel Eliyahu, the issue that came up for us about the tension of being a Ravi'ir or Rav Rashi or a, an official rabbi in Israel. Because on the one hand, if you, the, the distinction between, the Supreme Court made a distinction between politics and between Psaq Halacha and said that as a rabbi, as a, as a, as a civil servant, the, the rabbi, rabbi Liao could say what he wanted as a rabbi and give Psaq Halacha, give halachic rulings. But at the same time, when it came to politics, then he was a civil servant and then he was limited in what he could and couldn't say. And for us in our discussions, what came out was there's an inevitable tension that emerges in this role as a rabbi. Because on the one hand, if a rabbi uh, wants to please everyone and wants to make everybody happy, and doesn't want to offend people, then he, by definition, limits his ability to influence people and try to bring them closer to Torah. On the other hand, if he says whatever he thinks, very often uh, the, the things that he says, some of the Torah values can conflict with democratic values, but let's keep it simpler than that. Even more simply, sometimes promoting Torah values and very often promoting Torah values will upset a lot of non-religious people. And so we wanted to ask, I'll well, just say it very simply, there seems to us to be a, a tension, but before that, I wanted to ask you, what is your job as the rabbi of Shoham? How do you, wh what do you have to do? And how do you see your role as the rabbi of a city in Israel? Okay, good evening to everyone. And um, I'm privileged to be here with you. I think uh, to be a city rabbi in Israel is a job that has no definition. It could be a job that the rabbi will work from morning, from early in the morning until uh, midnight, and could be a job that he will do nothing. Actually, because the, the law doesn't tell him what he has to do. He wants, he could give supervision for kashrut. He doesn't want to supervise kashrut, he will, he will give no kashrut. He wants, he will be a registering couples for marriage. He doesn't want to do that, he will not do that. Actually, the law doesn't define what are his authorities and what are his obligations. I think the only thing that the law says today, and this is after years of struggling, is that the rabbi has to live in the city. Even this was not clear. And for many rabbis, until now, it's not clear that the fact that they serve as uh, local rabbis of cities that uh, they, they're supposed to live in the city they work yeah. as rabbis. Right, Dr. Friedman mentioned that in his city, the rabbi does not live in his city, and many okay. rabbis today don't live in the city. So that's a new for new rabbis and they, when, they, when they start? I think, no, it's for, it applies to every rabbi, but not every rabbi <laughs> is following the, okay. the rules. So how that's do you not, see your job? You don't have to do so, anything. How do you see okay. your job? So basically, the rabbi is actually one of the luckiest people in the world. Nobody, it's a lifetime job. It's great. Yeah. That's true. And nobody, not mine because I'm working on contract and every five years we have to extend it. Um, but basically, uh, nobody tells him what to do. In many of the occasions, the mayor is very happy that he's doing nothing because he doesn't need any troubles. 
and he doesn't look after troubles that will come from the rabbi's position. And after being a bit cynical, what does the rabbi do? The rabbi has a lot of jobs if he wants to do that. Number one, he goes to shuls, he teaches Torah, he passes in various shuls. He um, is in charge if he wants to, he's in charge of the kashrut of the city, he's in charge of the marriage of the city, he's in charge of the funerals in the city. Basically, he's in charge of the religious Jewish life in the city. So it's the job that you could fill it with a lot of content and you can do nothing with that. I mean, you could decide that you want to go to every elementary secular school and to teach your kids and to expose them to Chumash and to Sidur and you can decide that you don't do that. I could tell you about uh, myself. Um, I go every year with the um, uh, high school. I'm talking about the secular high school. I'm going with them to Poland for a week uh, to be with them for the entire week. And we, I take advantage of that to talk about Hasidu, to talk about shuls, to talk about Jewish identity. So it's a question of uh, how, you, uh, how you see uh, uh, this job and what kind of uh, content you want to put it in. I see my job as actually as the rabbi, basically of the non-observant people. I want to be the address for them. Because I guess that most of the religious people will get along with their Rashi yeshivas from uh, former rabbis from high schools or from the Hezda yeshivas, and actually they don't need a rabbi. But it's not that I'm not there for them. I go every Shabbos to about between four to six shuls and say the Vitora there. But I give a, a Dafiomi shur twice a day and other shurim as well. But I see my, my, my job to be the rabbi of the people that don't, that don't go to shul. I want them to feel that the rabbi is their, is their rabbi. So that's my, that's my goal. As a matter of fact, I, I could tell you that, and again, with all the modesty, that uh, if you ask an average uh, Israeli guy that lives in Yerushalayim or in Tel Aviv or in Haifa, who is the chief rabbi of his city, I'm ready to bet that he will have no clue. I doubt if a religious boy will know that, but especially, but I'm definite about a secular go a guy that will have no clue about the rabbi. I am ready to bet that there will not be even one boy or girl in Shoham, that you'll ask him who is the chief rabbi of Shoham and he will not know who he is. Right? If that's true, if so, if you see that as your role, does it prevent you from speaking out about issues sometimes because you know that if you, if you, if you articulate a Torah value, that would get into a fight and upset people? And do you find that and sometimes you just better to be quiet? You're 100% right, but it has nothing to do with... Um, with the, with the Supreme Court decision regarding Rav Eliyahu's uh, statements. Because I think every uh, puppet rabbi in America knows that uh, there are uh, sermons that he will be able to deliver in his community. And there are sermons that uh, it's not smart to talk about them uh, in his community. At least uh, it, it's not smart to focus on them. I guess that uh, we prefer to deal, I'm talking now generally speaking, and now afterwards, I'll go specifically to, to these issues. I guess that uh, for us as rabbis in modern orthodoxy uh, congregations, it's, we prefer to talk about issues of Lashonara 
and social justice and even Shmirat Shabbat more than to talk about uh, covering the head or the length of the uh, dresses. I think, and I think it's a, it's a smart decision that we take, that we don't, we don't focus on other things because we know that there are, th- there are struggles that it's a waste of time to deal with and there are struggles that you can uh, attract people and to, uh, and to uh, bring them in and uh, you don't want to do things that will push people out. So it's true about observant congregants and it's of course true about secular congregants as well. I'll ask one thing that I'll ask my, my last question, then I'll turn it over to Molly. Um, do you find sometimes that the religious public who's in your city, obviously you're not beholden to, to anybody in Yad Binyamin, but the religious public in your city sometimes bristles at the way that you catch Jew, Jew, Jewish ideas in order to make them approachable to the non-religious public. Because when you talk about Torah ideas, even though you could say it in a sophisticated way, Sometimes, you, like you said, you're going to emphasize or not emphasize. So do you get blowback from the religious public because of the way you speak to the non-religious public or the way you are? Okay, I will give you an example. Um, when the, there were a few initiatives in uh, my city uh, to open coffee houses on Shabbat and uh, different kind of stores on Shabbat, um, I insisted that there will be no riot and no protest against uh, these places. And um, I, had a, I had to fight with a few of my congregants, but I insisted that, that there will be no riots about these kind of issues. I could be very proud to say today that Shoham is the only city in Israel where you have non-observant percent, where you have more than 70% uh, non-observant people, and there is not even one store that is open on Shabbos. And I think, uh, and I think the uh, community appreciates the way I treated uh, these uh, cha- these challenges or these uh, tests. And but I insist that there will be no struggle of between between religious and non-religious people about the character, the religious character or the cultural character of the city. And um, of course, I had um, uh, feedbacks from all sides, but uh, okay, that's one of the tests of a leader. Molly. Uh, first of all, I want to say that I very much appreciate it. Well, thank you for coming um, and speaking to us. And I appreciate your answer very much. Uh, we were, before this morning, we had a very brief conversation, and it was actually with Johnny who had spoken about. Um, thinking about, we were t- talking about the role of a Ra'ir, a Rav Yishuv, and how he has to navigate all the different um, populations in his city. And uh, it was Johnny who had said, you know, being concerned for the non-religious is a very, very important part of being a Ra'ir. And one of the things that came up in my mind is kind of what Ruby had alluded to, and I'll make it even more extreme, when you're the Rav of a community that has in it also a more um, religious population, and I would say even perhaps a Haredi population, and maybe they're not even in your city, but they're in, they're watching you because you're a Ravier and um, you're in the public position. And I was just wondering if that pressure from the other side, right, can Ruby kind of asked from the religious population, and I'm asking even for the more extreme people who would, would let's say, 
the, I don't know whether they, they're, uh, how you view them. Are they under your auspices? Are they not under your auspices? The Haredi world, how, if you're comfortable answering this question, how much you, uh, how much th that world and their perspective and their positions and their opinions play a role when you make your decisions? Because as you said, the decisions you, you are taking take bravery and you're doing them out of principle. And I very much appreciate and value that. And I happen to um, appreciate your leadership because I think that's ultimately the, the way to make, to, to build bridges in this country between all the populations, I think that that approach is the right way to go, but not everybody feels that way. So I was just wondering how you manage to balance also the Haredi world and not just the Latilumi and perhaps Chiloni or Mesorati world. To, to be honest with you, um, I don't have too many Haredim in my city. It's about uh, 20, maybe 30 families. So this is not a, a number that... Um, I have to take in consideration in these kind of decisions. But it's true, I live very close to El Ad. And I know as a fact that uh, the Haredi media is watching me and trying to find all mistakes I'm doing and every decision that I'm taking about reform, congregation in Shoam and other issues in Shoam. Everybody is watching me since uh, I was a candidate to be the chief rabbi of Israel. Uh, everybody is trying to find a mistake in the, in the way uh, I'm running the rabbinate here in Shaw. So um, if I will say I don't take them in consideration at all, I think it will not be true. But if I judge my decisions in the last uh, 20 years, and I'm here for, almost two, for more than 20 years, there were a few cases that I had to fight against the Haredi world, uh, there was, for instance, when we developed uh, uh, an industry zone here near Shoam and the Haredim from Bechemesh Schmidl and his friends from the Atra Kadisha maintained that they are graves and they brought Chassidim to uh, demonstrate there and the mayor didn't know how to deal with them. I said to the, I said to the mayor, please listen to me. You do whatever I tell you. You don't pay attention to them at all. And if they will not, they will continue to demonstrate, you will call the police. And I will support you. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. And they disappeared. Um, I, I think that, uh, um, that eventually uh, most of the Haredim, by the way, I think there is a big mistake when we judge and we stigmatize the Haredim as one group. There is a big difference between the Haredi political leadership, which is one thing, and the Haredi people as human beings that want to live peacefully with, uh, with, his, with their secular uh, neighbors and the secular residents. And, they have, and I think most of them have a lot of respect to what we do here and to the way the rabbinate is perceived here in Shoam. And I think um, uh, I could tell you one thing. I get a phone call a few years ago from one of the very Haredi, a very famous uh, rabbi in one of the cities near, near Shoam. And he says to me, well, tell me your secret. How come 20 years a rabbi, no reform congregation? There is one small one, but not, not no reform congregation. If and the congregation applies only to a few Americans, no Israelis going there, no non-kosher restaurants in your city. This, all the, most of the voters of this city are left-wing, blue and white, merits, labor, very few Likud, very few... Uh, 
um, Yemina or a religious Zionist. And uh, I, a rabbi, I'm a rabbi. Most of the people belong to the Likud and most of them this and this and this. And still I have two big uh, centers of reform movement and I have two, two and three big restaurants, Nankosha, et cetera, et cetera. Tell me your secrets. I have no secrets. I could tell you that it's all built with a lot of love and a lot of concern. And I think that um, what the... I'm very supportive of competition with any kind of movement. It doesn't matter for me if it's reform, conservative, whoever wants to compete on the Israeli, on the Israeli population. I'm, I think it's challenging us. It makes me working harder and better. And I think that they deserve to, 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 uh, to deliver the messages uh, in, with free rights here in Israel and uh, with equal rights. And therefore, I'm not afraid. But once we do it with a lot of love, with a lot of responsibility, and we see ourselves responsible to them and not only to the religious people. And that's the way I look at the rabbinate. I, I, I care about the secular, not less, even a bit more than about the observant people. I think this is one of the recipes to get support among the secular uh, population. I asked Rav Johnny, go ahead. So, so to echo my colleague's thoughts, thank you so much, Rav Stav, for, for joining the show, joining the program, the podcast. Um, what you may not know, actually, is I have secular family who live in Shoham. In fact, my parents have an apartment in Shoham. So I know the city quite well, uh, and I spent Shabbatot there. And over the many years that I've been a visitor to the city, I can tell you, number one, you're entirely right. My, my cousins know your name. And my uncle and aunt used to go to the Yom Kippur service that you'd run in the cultural center, rather than go to a religious service in synagogue all day. They'd have an explanatory service that Rav Stav would lead, and everyone would walk away enlightened and inspired. So I want to genuinely thank you uh, for, for leading them and inspiring us. Uh, but going back to the, t the reason we're talking, but also, I suppose, the conversation we're having, you said that there is no... Uh, you know, specific duties that you have as a chief rabbi, but we came off the back of the prior conversation with uh, uh, Dr. Shuki, and the question really is, ultimately, you are a civil servant. So whether or not your job specification is clearly defined, nonetheless, you are an employee of uh, the Rabbanot Rashid, and whether you are or are not saying things because of your personal conscience or because of what you think they're going to say, how does that dynamic work? So that's my first question, meaning how does your role work in tandem of this wider system of the Rabbanut Rashid? And though you're not speaking as a head of Tsar, I think that's obviously highly relevant. And secondly, uh, going back to the, the question of I broadly Chiloni slash Masati city, which Sharm is and, and, and is doing a great job of maintaining a lot of tradition, notwithstanding, as you say, the very, very varied population. You've spoken about your pragmatic leadership and the love that you've shown and the loyalty and the dedication you've given, which I can certainly say I've seen from afar. But what's your vision for the next 10 to 20 years? To my understanding, and, and I have, uh, I suppose, a certain level of knowledge the more secular population 20, 30 years ago were more literate about Tanakh, had a better understanding of traditions. Nowadays, they don't for a whole bunch of reasons. We can't blame 
you or the chief rabbinate or any specific teacher. But basically, there's Yiridata Dorot in terms of affiliation with and identification with certain biblical texts and certain core Jewish ideas. So what do you see your role as a chief rabbi of a city like that in terms of not just maintaining a great status quo, which certainly is worthy of, of praise, but also growing people, especially as trends are going in a very different direction. So my two questions are, how do you see a role as an employee of the Rabbanot Rashid, who are ultimately, as I understand it, technically your bosses, and especially working as a head of Tsar and, and all that visionary leadership you're demonstrating there. And number two, how are we growing young people in terms of strength, identity, and knowledge when what I'm seeing is definitely a dilution uh, in, for a whole bunch of reasons in terms of strength, identity, and knowledge? So let's start with the first question. I think uh, I, I have to correct you. I'm not employed by the chief rabbinate. And not officially, and not formally, and not non-officially. I'm employed by the municipality of Shoham, and other rabbis could be employed by the religious council of the city, but none of the local rabbis is employed by the chief rabbinate. Not only that, we are not even committed to the decisions of the chief rabbinate. I'm talking legally. We cannot register couples for marriage and not following the rules of the chief rabbinate because the chief rabbinate is responsible for implementing the law of uh, marriage and divorce. And therefore, the rabbis, when they register marriages for, um, when, for marriage, they have to follow the rules of the chief rabbinate. But besides this, they are not committed to the chief rabbinate in no, in no, in no issue. I mean, I could pass in one thing and the chief rabbinate could pass in the opposite. And I'm not talking as a, as a chairman of Tsoha. I'm talking now as a regular rabbi. And what I'm saying here is applying. Not only that, even in the Kashrut, I'm not obligated to the decisions of the chief rabbinate. Basically, I could give Kashrut to products in my, under my uh, rabbinate that the ra chief rabbinate would not allow to give Kashrut for that. Usually I will not do that because it makes my life much easier when I say to the businessman, well, it's not me. The bad people are somewhere there. In Jerusalem. <laughs> they give the, the terrible uh, instructions not to use a uh, carrot, which is not, uh, or lettuce, not from Gush Katif. It's that despite the fact that it's five times the price and 10 times worse the quality. It's not me, it's them. But besides that, had I decided to use letters without Gush Katif, I could do that. None, nobody in the rabbinate will be able to, uh, to, give, to give a comment. How come I dare to, uh, to disobey to their instructions? Because I'm not, I'm not under their, um, their sovereignty, or under their responsibility. Every, what I'm saying to, about myself is true about every rabbin. Every so, rabbin. So just to clarify, so what, the reason I asked that is because my understanding was of Shmuel Eliyahu, and again, this is the backdrop of our conversation. His comments were being criticized by the Supreme Court, and he was having to be challenged 
at least in the formal basis by the Rabbanut Rashi. So maybe me, I misunderstood his role. Uh, the, and not the, the decision of the Supreme Court was that he had to have an administrative hearing by the Rabbanut Rashi, that they are his, his administrative director or something like that. Okay, that's the decision of the Supreme Court. But basically, uh-huh. basically, I'm not, I'm not under their responsibility in no area. I have to follow the rules when I register couples to marriage, but besides that, I have nothing with them. So that's about the first question. I think, I, I think if to go back to the background to, you, to this conversation, the background is the, 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 the statements that Raveliao has, has made, and that, that, that is a deeper question. What is, about, what is our co- commitment to Allah versus the commitment to a democracy or to the state? that is employing us. And what happens when there is a contradiction? Now let's take the example of Rav Shmuel Eliyahu, which is a wonderful example. The Alakha says that it's prohibited to sell an apartment to a non-Jewish man or woman in Israel. Let's say that this is the Alakha. I think there is no rabbi in the world that is entitled to change the Alakha. And if somebody is coming to Rav Shmuel Eliyahu and asks him, am I allowed to sell my apartment to a non-Jewish family? He should answer, if that's what he believes, he should answer, according to the Alakha, it's not allowed. What Rav Eliyahu was doing is not saying, is not doing that. What he was saying was, it's prohibited to sell apartments to Arabs because they will, they will rape or they will uh, persuade our girls to date with them. That's racism. That's has, this has nothing to do with halakha. Because the halakha does not differentiate between Arabs that are not Jewish and, and Christians, let's say Russians, that the father is, is Jewish and the mother is not Jewish. And we have about 30% of the people. He would never dare to say, you are not allowed to sell an apartment to a Russian family that the owner, that the husband, let's say, is non-Jewish. Had he said that, he would be kicked out from his job right away. He took advantage of the fact that he said that regarding to Arabs, and Arabs is something that, you know, that we have a national fight struggle with them. So he played on, 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 the, on the ears that are afraid from the Arabs that try to settle in Tzfat in other places, etc., etc. That was the political statement that, is, that he has made. And that is that. Now, I, I'm not saying that he's not entitled to say politics, but that's already the decision of the Supreme Court. But this is nothing to do with Allah. So now I want to go back to your second question. To be honest with you, this is the most important issue that should bother us, should concern us, should cause us not to sleep at night. Because with all the respect, you know, to the rabbinic issues, uh, cashiers, married, this, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not undermining that. But my concern, and should be all of us concerned, we should all be concerned about that. How we guarantee that the next generation of the Israeli society will remain committed to Judaism in any level. Rav Stav, do you agree with the question? Uh, let me they would just back up because uh, the, the premise of the question, Johnny talked about Yeridata Dorot, but I say, for example, my daughter is in Shevet Lumi, in Achi, in Rishon Etzion. 
There are there are Garinim Toraniim, there are Garinim all over the all over the country. I don't know if you have in Shoham. So on the one hand, there is Yuridata Darod, but on the other hand, we see even in the way the country votes, the country's moving more towards a traditional stance. So do you agree with the premise of the question, first of all? And then if you do, how do you deal with it? How do you sleep at night? Yeah. I think that um, there is no contradiction between what you have described and what uh, Rav Johnny was describing. It's two, uh, two processes that are taking place at, at once. Number one, there is a huge, I, I, I don't want to be to stigmatize, but I will, I will generalize it. There is a huge stream of youngsters, basically secular Ashkenazim, that are moving away from Judaism, that Judaism means for them less and less. These are the first candidates to assimilate when they fly to the States or to other places in the Globus. And they, in the first two years, they still eat falafel or shawarma. But a few years later, they become the first ones to assimilate with American or Gentile girls all over the world. They have no vaccine against assimilation because they grew up as, an Isra as Israelis and they had never to deal, they never dealt with the challenge of what does it mean to be Jewish? Why should I be Jewish? They grew up as Israelis and Judaism was a byproduct for their Israeli identity. And once they move to a place where there are no more Israelis and they have to express their Jewish identity, they have a problem. On the other hand, there is a movement, not in the same size, but there, is a, there are steps among, basically, among the Sephardim that move slowly to strengthen themselves and they, are, and they become more and more connected. They call, they strengthen themselves, mitchazkim. But uh, if I would compare the movements, uh, the, the growth of the movements, in two levels, uh, we should be concerned. Number one, I think the numbers of the, uh, of the secular are very, very big. And number two, uh, which is not less important, uh, again, I'm stigmatizing. It's not accurate what I'm saying, but it's enough that half of what I'm saying is, is, uh, is, is true. The talented people, the ones that carry on the shoulders the high, te the high technologies companies. I, I will give you an example. You know, Amnon Shashua, the very famous uh, businessman that uh, uh, mobilized, that uh, made the, the exit a few uh, a year ago. He's a Sephardic guy. Shashua, it's a Sephardic, Sephardic family. Could you imagine that I had to spend two hours to try to convince his daughter that got married a year ago to convince her to get married uh, in a Jewish way? And I didn't succeed. So even among them, you have to understand there are huge numbers that see no relevancy in Judaism, that Judaism pushes them away. And if I want to gamble, what will be the um, outcome and the consequences of the Haredi behavior in the, in the COVID-19, what we have seen in the last couple of months, I dare to say that it pushed another 100,000 youngsters to say to themselves, we, we don't want to have anything with Judaism. Wow. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, 
I, I'll ask another I, I question. I thought it's 20 minutes. I have one more question. You would, sorry, you're too interesting. What can you do? You need to go. You I need to go. I need to go. Not because I need to go. I go nowhere. I'm staying at home. But I have a couple that is waiting for me and I promised them. Okay. That, uh, it will so I'll ask one brief question. You can, you can answer it. If, if, as you say, the Haredi influence, et cetera, et cetera, um, we can agree that most rabbinic, most rabbinate ear do not agree with you. They might, they, they don't agree with your approach. It, it, do you think, I'll ask it this way, should there be a rabbanut? Like, let's say, okay, you can offer services. That we can agree. I think there should be services. But do, are your colleagues in the other cities helping or hurting? And if they're hurting, are they doing good for the Jewish people? I think it's not fair to ask this question. I guess each one of the rabbis is trying to do good. And I'm not trying to be politically correct. I guess there are a few that are more capable, a few that are less capable. I believe that most of them do not make too many damages. But it's, it's, the question is not about them. The question of what makes the damage is not the personality of the rabbi necessarily, but the spirit of the establishment. And this makes a huge damage in the state of Israel. Because once people feel that they are captive audience, and once they are treated as captive audience, just like you know the DMV and the, in the states, and where, the, and the, where the system doesn't see any reason to improve itself because they know that there is no competition. And they know that they owe the job to the politicians that nominated the, them there and not to the public that needs their services. And I think if we want to make a change in the status uh, of the local rabbis, the first thing that has to be done, they have to be elected by the people, not by politicians. Today, they are nominated by politicians and that's the, how it looks. Okay, Rastav, I know you have to go. Thank you so, so much for being with us. Thank it's really, I learned, I learned so much. It was really fascinating. Thanks for sharing your insights with us and uh, your honesty as well. And you should continue, Michael and Chayel, to continue Amen. to do shalom, the amazing shalom. work that you Amen. do. Amen. Together from strength to strength. Amen. Shalom, Amen. shalom. Okay, so, wow. Anything you want to, I mean, wrap it up here. Unless you guys want to, there are other things you want to you add? Molly, you want to comment? No, I just, I just, I think he said that so well. Uh, the end. <laughs> that it's not the individual Rabbanim. It's the spirit of the establishment that has to... What do you think he meant by that? I didn't entirely understand. Oh, I know exactly what he meant by that. He, he said it. He said when, when, um, when there's no competition and religion becomes... Um, you're a captive audience to religion. Um, you're not going to... First of all, you're not going to like religion. My uncle always says, you know, what percentage of Israelis have a Brit What percentage of Israelis have a... Have a a, a, a Seder, Leo Pesach. Right, but that's not what he said. I agreed with that. We said about the competition. The what do you mean the spirit, the, the spirit? The so, spirit. So he's saying, he's saying, with the, the, right now, the sense is that the the Rabbanut provides a technical service, and that they are a bureaucracy, a governmental bureaucracy. There's no competition. There, it's all political appointees, and therefore you're 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 not. There, there's so many places in which that creates animosity and negativity. And so basically, I think what he was, I think he was making a larger statement that the spirit has to change. And I think what he was basically arguing is that the Rabbanut Rashid should be more in its 
uh, philosophy like Sohar, unless the way it is now. Oh, he, he definitely believes that. That's <laughs> he started in a more modest way. He said the the first way to fix it is he didn't you know he didn't go on a bombastic anti. Rabbanut uh, rant, uh, he pro-Tsar, he basically, which again, the Rabbanut and Tsar work together, I don't, what, you know, want to get into trouble here, but I, I think his, his, it was a very clever way of responding. His answer was, the way to make it better is to eliminate the bureaucracy and, and, the, and the politicization, make it, have there be free market, have there be competition, have there be elections, and let the people decide, and obviously I think he's right, that the people will decide the spirit that he agrees in, agrees with and not the spirit we have now. Which is why it's never going to happen, um, Johnny. I want to. I want to. I want your comments. The thing he said before, the last thing he said about uh, Haredim and COVID. First of all, it struck me as just a million percent correct, a hundred percent correct, and chilling and frightening that we haven't started, begun to think about how the behavior of the Haredi community will affect the 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 the, the attitude towards religion of. I was thinking he's thinking about Israelis, but can you can you imagine living in America and seeing what happened in Bar Park on you know on the front of the New York Times and being a Jew and you know what I'm saying and you were thinking of going to your local Chabad or not going to your local Chabad? Uh, what was your response to that comment? So, firstly, I just want to say it was a great pleasure having him, and secondly, I want to repeat what he said, which you know I often say, which is let's not overly generalize. There are many different Haredi and Hasidic populations and. One of the gravest and I think uh, greatest transgressions that the media have done and many other online commentators have done is to overly generalize the Haredim. Um, and in so doing, they've tarnished huge communities who have absolutely kept to the Hanchayot uh, as much as I have. And I've been incredible. Yeah. Right, this is not enough to get into that, but I even right, saw a Facebook post that you saw also. It's important to say, wait, wait, You're talking about how people respond to the Haredim. I'm saying if people respond to the Haredim, it means everybody has been overly generalized. And that's actually unfortunately been expressive of an of a, uh, innate resentment and sometimes hatred, which has boiled up for many years and unfortunately been exploded and revealed through uh, inappropriate behavior by some community. I'm sorry, 100% true, but not true at all. Because if you talk about Aguda and we have the Moetzes and that we have a, a mutual responsibility and they speak as one and they vote as one, which they do, and they have a united political party, there is mutual responsibility. And if they don't speak out about it, then you can't say, well, you can't lump them all together because they lump them all together. I, I, I'm, I'm that's not our topic. We can talk about it another time. Right, that, Go back to my question. Bodies, I'm talking about a, a broad population. Most populations aren't respected. And between you and me, there is a trend in the Haredi community, and we all know it, that there's less respect and well-known Rosh Yeshiva, not only Rosh Yeshiva, but also well-known Hasidic leaders who mock and belittle people who wear masks, even, so, which I can't even understand. There is, but we can't deny it. There's there there are trends um, that are. You can always disclaimer it by saying, "Okay, let's not let's not It's not disclaimer. I'm prepared to answer the question. I just want to answer the question rather than an over over broad attack on a vast population, which my answer wouldn't be uh, directed to. I'm going to give actually the same answer to this as a conversation you just had about the Rabbanut You know, in in uh, Judaism, we distinguish between tam and reach, right? Tam is often the substance, but Reach is a whole atmosphere, the scent around it. What Rav Stav said in his final remark is, whatever uh, services people are doing in terms of Tam, unfortunately, it leaves a really bad Reach. And that's been a massive problem, and that problem is really hard to get away. And I would say the same thing, in fact, in terms of what's been taking place, which, by the way, has been whipped up 
with great glee, I'd say, by the media, that notwithstanding how much certain communities have uh, uh, observed the rules, and also many other communities haven't, the reach that's been created through the way in which those communities have been covered is one which is going to be very, very hard to dissipate and is going to leave a very terrible taste in the mouth of old people and young people. So immaterial of who it is and what it is, when bodies, whether it be rabbinical bodies or whether it be particular communities or whether it be individuals, act bad, even if other moments they act well, that reach stinks. And especially when they seem to represent a religious worldview, that reach stinks really bad and it leaves a terrible um, impression on any person who may well be sincerely looking, considering at least pondering the possibility of growth within Judaism. Because if they think that's what Judaism represents, they're going to say thanks, but no thanks. Meaning those two things are more connected with than we think. When religious bodies, and religious communities act badly, people who aren't part of those communities say, not just thanks, but no thanks, but if that's what you call religious practice, I'm happier, I'm better, I'm more ethical, and I'm more responsible not being a part of it. Totally agree. I'd say I, I hadn't even thought about it, and now like I, I, I have to like wrap my head around it. Molly, you have any closing thoughts, or we'll leave no, it No, I here? agree with you. I agree with it's you. Like so chilling. Hit, hit me, hit me bad. Yeah. Okay. Oh wow. This is. I mean, this is real. It was a real treat. Our staff really like uh, opened my eyes to a lot of things, and uh, I, I told you he would be honest, and he's not afraid of questions. And uh, I think I was definitely true. I want. Uh, I just to repeat one more thing though, because his answer to my second question is really the chilled chilling answer which you know that I've raised on a number of occasions. We can't close our eyes as religious Jews to the fact that the majority of our brothers and sisters here in Israel are ebbing away. And the religious Zionist community needs to do more. What Rav Stav basically said is, I'm working really, really hard to maintaining a status quo. He didn't actually talk about growing. He's basically saying the very fact that over 20 years I haven't got restaurants open on Shabbos, that's incredible progress given the possible decline that could happen. But most of us aren't engaging. And so uh, I go back to this wider, shall we say, call to action for myself and for others, which is we need to care a lot more. And that's what he was telling us as well. Care. Can I, can I say one more thing about that? Which also- I, I, don't, I don't know. I struggle with it. struck me. I don't know. I, 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 I struggle like, where's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, like, what, like, yes, I'm responsible and I feel a level of responsibility, but everybody has to make choices in life. And, and you can't convince, like, you know what I'm saying? What am I supposed to do now? There's COVID. Nobody, people don't look at me as an example. And, you know, like, yes, I'm going to try to be a spokesman, but I, I don't know. I like it really, like, it, it strikes me as, as, you know, you, you, you can't be me, but tell me, man, but at some point you have to live your life and try to be with the life that you lead. But you, you, you know. But three or what with Zohar, you're doing that, meaning. <laughs> I, I know that you're engaging with those populations on a regular basis. And so I'm not saying you're done, but I know that you're not also standing by the sidelines and letting things most pass by. A lot of people- in Some could argue and say, yeah, you live, I, I feel this, I've mentioned this many times before. I live in my comfortable life. We all live in our comfortable enclaves and our religious communities. We don't confront these things on a daily basis. We don't try to affect those around us. And I'm not sure that I'm supposed to. I really don't know. I'm not, Can I, I totally, just mention yeah, one point that, that worried me? And I'm interested in what you, know, what you feel about this. One of the things that he said in the answer was it's not just about the numbers. He said, it's the who's who's who are the people that are ebbing away? It's 
you know, the high tech Tel Aviv, you know, the, uh, our leaders, right? Like I wouldn't say our leaders, that's not our way to say it, but like um, it's a certain segment of society. That was interesting to me, right? Because usually my attitude, and often in our conversations, right, Johnny's the one who's pushing, you know, we're going to lose people. And, and I'm always saying, no, but look at the numbers and look at the, the, the you know, Shmuel Rosner saying that religious Zionist, Masoretti, um, Israeli, okay, so you have this little group in Tel Aviv. But what Rav Stab is saying is that little group in Tel Aviv, I guess I'm kind of- A, it's not so little. A, it's not so little. B, they, they play a very important role in society. Now, again, I think that that's another thing that's been happening is that the elites are changing and that that's you and me are entering into, but still like from the perspective of our responsibility and caring, we, we do have to care about these people. It, you know, just care about them anyway, because we care about everybody. But you have to care about them, but you can't care about them more than they care about themselves. Yeah, at some point, the, yeah, the world, so like I've spoken okay. about this so, so many you, times. What you said, where's our, where responsibility is to live our lives properly and to get our reach, as Johnny called it, and as he called it, the spirit of our establishment right. And I think that's something that the Tzilini world um, is working on. And I think it's getting better. And I think people like Rav Stav and so are, are moving us in the right direction. But I, I think that's, maybe that's where we have to focus. You know, I'm going to make a suggestion. In fact, this is just thought off right now, because as I say, I've got family who live in Sharma. My parents also have an apartment there. It's a place I spend quite a bit of time in. I'm going to make a suggestion that all of us, and all three of us, and I mean it seriously, who live, as you say, in these enclaves, and I've been self-critical, we should spend at least two Shabbatot a year in a more secular neighborhood, a kibbutz or a city. I, mean, I do, by the way. I think it's incredibly important. You don't have to do it for your whole family, maybe just an adult if you're worried about impact, whatever. You should get, get out and see. See what Shabbos looks like. Wait, in, I don't understand. Where would you want me to go? You want me to go I want stay to at somebody's house? I want stay to... at somebody's house? Like somebody secular? I'll think, um, I want you to stay in a city and I want you to just look. I want you to look at parks. I did that. I lived in Oak Park, Michigan for, for 10 years. I don't have ah, to do that. On. I know exactly not... what it's like to live in a non-religious neighborhood. That's a non-religious neighborhood. See, see what Shabbos is in a place like Shoham. Because you'll be both surprised in, in both ends about the amount of commitment to the secular, but also the amount of seeming transgression which you forget because you don't see like I don't because I'm in a issue. Meaning the point that Rav Stav is telling us is things are happening and we're not even aware they're happening. And I'd say the sad part of the religious Zionist world is, as you say, we build these walls, we build these enclaves, and we pretend it isn't occurring other than what we see on TV, which is sometimes a little bit of like uh, living in a movie, you know, Go there, see with your own eyes. You know, Kadosh Baruch Hu teaches us to er danave er er. You know, go down and see. You know, lech red, go down and look. I think we as a population have to do that because we need to be sufficiently agitated to want to do more. Uh, and I'm so pleased that we have the privilege of staff who's working so hard in this in this realm. Wow. Okay, we'll stop here. Uh, um, uh, I want to thank Rob Johnny Solomon and Randy Molly Bravsky, as I always do. And in absentia, Rav Stab was meeting with a couple now uh, for <laughs> spending his time with us. Uh, we obviously, as always, love your comments and emails and suggestions. Uh, as I mentioned last week, if you have suggestions for topics, we'd love to hear them and for guests as well, as this is a new thing we're doing and I think uh, hopefully pretty successfully. I want to thank my son, Petachia Spolter, for writing our, and performing our music. And finally, uh, we'd like to recommend also to share our to share this podcast if you enjoy it, and give us a rating in the in the uh, iTunes.
podcast app, the Apple podcast app, because that helps other people discover. Uh, and of course, obviously, if you're going to give us a rating, make it five stars and write nice things. Um, I wish everybody a wonderful week. And uh, Choref Tov and Thanks a lot, everybody.